Welcome to WVYC's Perspectives. This is an up-close look at the students, faculty, and administrators who make your college unique. This weekly show shines a spotlight on the programs and people here at YCP. This week's host is Jeffrey Schiffman. Welcome to WVYC's Perspectives, and today we're going to be going to be talking with the Arthur J. Gladfelter director here at York College of Pennsylvania. That is Vinny Canizero. Vinny, first of all, thank you uh, for joining us. You and I have done this before, but let's quickly kind of remind people what the uh, uh, Gladfelter uh, Institute is all about. Sure, yeah. So the Arthur J. Gladfelter Institute for Public Policy is at the Center for Community Engagement here at the college. Uh, We're focused mostly on local and state level research, policy development, policy analysis, uh, really to provide you know, that avenue to allow governmental organizations that may not have the capacity or, um, you know, nonprofits or individuals to be able to do research related to public policy issues um, and develop some type of um, solution to come up with, you know, social change. All right, so uh, basically, uh, play uh, institute uh, organizations come to your institute and say, "Hey, we've got this project we would love to do, but yep. just we can't afford it." Yep, that's what you're doing. Yeah, so you know, a lot of times uh, organizations in the area and uh, local government have gone outside of York County to get their research done mm. um, and you know be able to work on policy development and that kind of thing. But now, since we're here, um, you know, it's it's great having a local York organization being able to work on local. York issues um, and, and we're really able to fill the gap that I think has been here for a while mm. um, and we're, we're happy to we're happy to be here and happy to do it all right let's talk about some of the things that you've been Absolutely. working on so um, I think probably one of the bigger projects that we finished was back in May um, a group of faculty and students uh, went to Liberia to look at Uh, maternal mortality in the country. And I was looking at from a policy perspective, trying to figure out what are some of the um, implementation issues, what are some of the capacity issues that may be leading to high rates of maternal mortality uh, throughout the country. And we did a number, I think, it's probably somewhere close to 40 or 50 interviews with uh, you know high-level government officials, um, uh, nurses, uh, hospital staff, hospital administrators, patients, community members to just try and figure out what's going on. And really, what it what it all came down to is this idea of trust uh, that there is a lack of trust within the healthcare system in Liberia um, that. You know, hospital members don't trust that they have the resources that they need, uh, and community members don't trust that the hospitals are going to be able to provide the service and the care that they need. Uh, and it's it's leading to these really awful um, health outcomes. When you say trust, what what do you mean by that? Well, I so, know that I, I and 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 I guess that there's been some of this related to what's gone on in Congo with right. Ebola. Yeah, I I don't get that. Yeah, so you know after after Ebola broke out in Liberia. Uh, there, it, it was thought that maybe the government was some kind of governmental conspiracy and that, uh, you know, hospital systems were actually infecting people. Uh, but what we found was that there is, um, there, there, there's, there's a lack of trust in being able to get, uh, to get what you need. And I'll give you an example. Um, in, a, in one of the counties in Liberia, um, there are, I think it was 15 health care centers. Um, so these are either hospitals or um, community clinics or what have you. Uh, out of those 15 health care centers, 
only nine were given one vial of oxytocin, which is the drug to stop postpartum hemorrhaging, uh, which means that there were another seven that there were no drugs to stop a woman from bleeding during childbirth. You know, mothers that are going into labor uh, don't know if they're going to survive labor if they start bleeding at some of these healthcare centers because they don't know drugs are there. We had another story from a hospital administrator that told us uh, that they knew of another hospital administrator at another facility that drove off with a truck full of drugs. The guards that were guarding it, uh, that were guarding the healthcare center, you know, they paid them off, they let them out, and they drove away with an entire truck full of drugs just because they could. Yeah, it's and it, and that's hard for us to wrap our heads around yes, that because really in this country, <laughs> it, it happens to a little bit, but right. not uh, on that kind of scale where literally all of the drugs for right. the hospital. Yeah. That, yeah. So I mean, there were uh, hospital staff don't feel like they were be, they were being supported enough, um, knew that they could not provide the care uh, that their patients needed, and patients ne- don't necessarily trust the healthcare centers to provide the care that they need. You know, we heard time and time again that I trust the nurses, I trust the staff, but I don't trust the system. Um, and it, it's really leading to these poor health outcomes and these high rates of maternal mortality um, that until you know, we're able to figure out how to regain trust in the system or how, how the Liberian healthcare system is able to regain trust in the system. Um, I don't know. I don't know where we go from here. We are talking with Vinny Canizero. He is the Arthur J. Gladfelder director here at York College. All right. Uh, and, and you actually went in country. You were in Liberia yes. for what, we two were, weeks? Yeah, some, I think we were there for 10 days. And, and uh, that program was sort of started and uh, mentored by a student here at the yeah, college. So, She's uh, a biology student, I think. I, uh, I think so. Yeah, I think, I think maybe bi- nursing. Yeah, nursing, nursing yeah, biology. So Kat, It was with uh, Kathy Cooper, so she graduated. Um, I think maybe she's graduating this summer. She will be graduating soon if, if she hasn't already. Um, but she is a native Liberian. She came to the U.S. Um, and has been living here with her family for a while and wants to go back to be a doctor to really uh, provide some type of health care um, you know, skills to the country. Um so she really spearheaded this last summer uh, with uh, Dave Fife, who's also another faculty member, and Dominic Delicarpini, um, who is the dean of the Center for Community Engagement, um, through the Graham Scholar Program to encourage her and some other students to go. And then we went back as really a follow-up trip uh, to give her, um, provide her the opportunity to get a deeper dive into what the healthcare system is like in Liberia. Obviously, that's a little bit different than most of the stuff that you do. Yes. You're not you're, you're not you're not trying to source something overseas. Yes, absolutely. So let's talk about some of the the, the local things that you've done. Recently. Yeah, yeah. So um, what I'm working on right now is a as a survey for uh, York County that is looking at open space protection, open space preservation. Uh, so this is trying to convert some areas, um, some commercial areas or privately owned areas into either parks or recreation areas um, for agricultural use, for um, natural conservancy. Uh, And we're trying to figure out, would people be interested and willing for the county commissioners to either set up some type of dedicated funding stream uh, to increase land protection or open space protection? Uh, And I I think for the county commissioners, and more importantly, would people be willing to pay a little bit more in uh, property taxes to fund some type of fund? Um, you know, we're looking at about, not we're, I, I'm just doing the survey, but the county's looking at about four square miles um, of space a um, a year to be able to protect, which, you know, doesn't sound like very much. And it's not. It's a, it's less than uh, 1% of the entire area of the county. Um, but in the long run, it's it's going to be able to do do a whole lot. And is this urban and, and rural? 
It, I'm assuming so. I don't. I don't have. Oh, you don't have. Yeah, I'm just. I'm really just the surveyor. <laughs> um, so you know, once you know, I, I'm trying to figure out if uh, your county residents would be interested in this kind of thing, um, and you know, are there differences between super voters? Are there differences between uh, people in any uh, specific zip codes or any municipalities that would be more interested in this? Who would be willing to pay a little bit more, or? Uh, you know, would you just be interested and in not be paying anything at all? Um, so I'm providing the data and hopefully the, the York County Commissioners and the Planning Commission will be able to take this and make some type of policy determination as a result. Mm, and and this has been something that's been done in other communities. Absolutely. Obviously, yeah. Lancaster County has Lancaster right. uh, County, um, oh, that, well, Lancaster County Conservancy, but also the the Farmland Trust, right. which right. they've got hundreds, they've got thousands of acres yeah. uh, that have been preserved that yeah. are, you know, preserved in perpetuity. It sounds really really like an interesting and what what have been the challenges with that one well you know um methodologically this has been a difficult survey because I mean, I don't know how big an acre is. I don't know, Jeff, you know how big an acre is? I could uh, guess. Right? But you know, yeah. and, and I think once we start talking about, you know, their four square miles is 2,500 acres. Oh. I have no oh, idea well, that's how a many. Lot. It, right, and I know it's a lot. Yeah. But, you know, and so that's been one of the bigger challenges that, that we've run into. Um, is, is just, you know, methodology of figuring all of this out. But I think in the long run, this will be a really good... Um, metric for local government to know for the county government to know um and i think it, it's also going to provide us at, at the institute some uh some type of legitimation of you know we're here for governments also hmm. um, you know a lot of our work has been with local organizations we've done a good deal of work with the city um around lead paint i well, i'm sure we'll, we'll yeah, get we'll to that um but you know we're, we're really i'm really hoping that we can branch into some government contracts as well well that sounds interesting all right yeah. what else what else do you yeah want so uh lead paint i know when i was yeah. here gosh i had to be uh, last summer about a year and a half yeah, ago or so, something like that um, you know, we're, we're still working out, but we're getting to the end now of um, a lead paint ordinance in the city of York. Um, we've been through a lot of iterations, have a lot of discussions. Um, and, you know, to, to give everyone an idea of what's happening now, um, we're, we're looking at in different census tracts throughout the city, uh, anywhere between 15 percent and 50 percent of children under the age of six having elevated blood lead levels. Uh, to put this in perspective, in Flint, the rate was about six percent. So we are wow. looking at a lot higher. Again, we're a smaller geographic area than Flint, um, but it's still concerning. So we are working to ensure that um, really all rental housing units in the city of York are inspected uh, and are led are, are safe for children and anyone to live in um, specifically regarding lead Let, let's talk about what lead lead does yeah so you know, um, some of us might know but others probably yeah don't. yeah so lead paint um, is a um, through the 1970s, I think it was in 1978 or 1979, uh, it was a commonly um, used additives to paint, uh, and it was outlawed when it was realized and found out that there are long-term, um, really awful outcomes related to high elevated blood lead levels. So we're, we're talking about uh, lowered IQ, uh, which leads to lower lifetime earnings. We're talking about behavioral issues. There's been high correlations uh, between elevated blood lead levels in infants and violent crimes uh, later on in life. Um, you know, all, there are a lot of social and biological factors that are um, uh, really hurt uh, when, when, when you're thinking about what happens when you get uh, elevated blood lead levels. And what's worst of all about it, and uh, you know, I tell this to my students a lot, uh, that lead paint tastes good, right? 
kids like the taste really? of like paint. So once they eat the chips, they, they eat the chips, and they continue to eat the chips because they like how it tastes. So once you take a bite of it, a lot of kids just keep eating it, and they they find more and they eat it because it's hmm. something you know. It's it's that's frightening. It's, it is. It's really frightening. We are talking with Vinny Canizero. Vinny is the Arthur J. Gladfelter Director here at your College of Pennsylvania, the Arthur J. Gladfelter Institute here at uh, the uh, college. Um, that that obviously the the lead paint. Uh, has real implications, not yes in York, but outside. You know, I would imagine that this is a problem in most urban areas, yeah. especially with older older housing stock and that sort of yeah, thing. Absolutely. So I was at a conference uh, put on by the Department of Housing and Urban Development uh, probably a month or so ago, and, and it was a lot of different, um, you know, governmental personnel and officials and um, social service organizations and housing housing authorities and whatnot. That this is really a broad issue. Uh, when we think about Pennsylvania in general, uh, at the state level, there isn't any legislation specifically related to lead besides one. And that is saying that if you're going to do remediations or abatement um, or any type of renovations, you need to be licensed, okay. which is which is great. Sure. Right. But it's you not have... doing anything right. uh, to actually um, to uh, there are there isn't any proactive approach to lead poisoning. Uh, so in Lancaster, they passed an ordinance. It's coming up on two years ago, um, and we're here in York. I'm ho- I'm hoping that we're going to uh, create a bit of a more robust and stringent um, ordinance that is going to be able to go further than they have in Lancaster and further than a lot of other municipalities um, and locations across the country have had um, to ensure that we get to as close to zero for um, uh, lead poisoning as we can. Okay, sounds sounds daunting. It is, but you know, I, I'm really hopeful. What you know, what we're doing um, is creating the mechanisms and the structure to ensure that every um, uh, housing unit is tested, uh, and if necessary, is renovated and abated to ensure that you know, kids remain healthy. I, I think we're going to be able to get there. All right, what else you working on? So let's see. Uh, back in really the fall and spring, it ended in the spring with one of my um, interns who just graduated is going to be attending the University of Pennsylvania in the fall uh, for his master's degree in public policy. Um, I'm very so, so happy for it. So you're actually having influence. <laughs> I know. You know, it's, it's great. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Cody Little um, and I had worked on this report, and Cody did the majority of the work. Um, no, I can't say the majority. He did all the work looking at municipalities. Uh, so we came up with a random selection of 10 municipalities throughout the county uh, and looked at really poverty measures and well-being measures. Uh, So, you know, considering what are some of the unemployment rates, what does the household income look like? um, You know, what I was really interested in, again, were related to housing and looking at some of the cost burden um, rates related to housing. So if a family is cost burden, it's when you spend more than 30% of your income uh, per month on housing. And that includes the actual house and any utilities and and what have you, um, and some of the things that we came up, that we found were a lot of low income people are extremely cost burdened. So if you are making, I think the numbers. I'm just you know, trying to remember now. Mm. But I think it's if uh, you make less than maybe fifteen thousand dollars a year, about ninety percent of households in York County uh, spend more than. Thirty uh, percent of it. It will fifteen thousand dollars a year. It really nothing. does yeah. not get you far. Um, and you know it 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 is providing some. Um, so uh, another way of looking at some of the metrics and some of the uh, problem areas and public problems that we're that we're seeing in York. And and I would think that you know for most of us we would say oh it's a York City problem. Right. 
Is it just, I mean, you looked at it's municipalities not. across the yeah. county. I'm sure that there are some pockets of poverty in other places of the county that no one really even thinks about yeah. as being areas of poverty. Yeah, so um, in uh, during the 2018-2019 uh, year, I, I did a study for um, the Red Line Area School District looking at homelessness within their school district. Right. Um, and, you know, the, the results were were unfortunate and, and really interesting that you know, the school district had thought it was about one and a half percent of their students had experienced homelessness um, in, in the past school year. Our results found that in the junior and senior high school, it was over 10 percent. So wow. we're showing that, you know, this poverty is not just a city issue. Uh, homelessness obviously is not just a city issue. We're, we're seeing, you know, a lot of economic hardship throughout the county. Hmm. I would not have thought it would have been that high. Yeah, I, I didn't either. I know I had to run the numbers a bunch of times to make sure that they were right. And it's it's just it's heartbreaking and just unbelievable what we're seeing. So when you get those those kind of what are you doing with that information? Where's that information? I, I obviously the school district was right, involved right. in and, and, and certainly the, the stuff that you guys have worked right. on. What where's that going? Who's yeah. using that? Yeah. So for the school district for Redline, um, I think what their assumption is, is that they will be able to get more federal funding to fight homelessness. In mm, their okay. area. Uh, so there's actually going to be a, uh, you know, a tangible outcome related to it. What, what, what I'm finding as we're going through, you know, and over the past few years that I've been working here um, is that there there's a lot of data out there, uh, but it's the interpretation of the data and how it's presented. So I'm trying to collect some more information that hasn't been collected before and put it in some type of format that it's going to tell a more succinct story uh, that people are going to be able to listen to. And I think that's really our starting point. There's information out there, but it might not be the right information. Um, and it may not be presented in a format that you know the general public or policymakers can um, easily digest. Well, it sounds like you've got a lot of work ahead of you. It's great, though. Okay. <laughs> That's good. We want to have that happen. Absolutely. Uh, I want to thank Vinny Canizero, the Arthur J. Gladfelter uh, Institute Director here at your college. Thank you for your time. Thanks, Jeff. I appreciate uh, it. You know, maybe we'll have to revisit some of this stuff in a, you know, great. maybe sometime during during the uh, spring semester. Uh, obviously, this is the kind of stuff that's ongoing, so you yeah. want to want to constantly yeah. stay in touch with it. Absolutely. I, I will add one more thing also okay. is that we are starting a master's program, uh, the Master's in Public Policy Administration. So if anyone is interested um, in learning more about policy, learning more more about public administration. We are, um, you know, we have a rolling admissions. We're accepting fall, spring, and summer, and we're happy to take any students that may be interested in applying. So, All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for WVYC's Perspectives. The program airs weekly on Mondays and Fridays at 9 o'clock. Public Affairs program is also available as a podcast at wvyc.podbean.com. Jeffrey Schiffman serves as the Executive Director of Perspectives. We hope you join us again for this in-depth look at the York College community.